0: Welcome to Scream Therapy. I'm your host, Jason Schurz. In October of 2018, I found myself in the hospital sitting across from a psychiatrist who was telling me that I was bipolar. I was released with a bunch of medication and laid on the couch for about a week. I had my iTunes library on shuffle, trying to shake the hornet's nest from my head. Ever since I was a kid, I've been using music for therapy and as a way to escape. Punk, rock, and mental health have always been connected. This podcast looks at that connection through the lens of different guests. This is Screen Therapy. Fully understanding each other's mental health and what is going on in someone's head is impossible. But through the support group facilitating that I've done, especially the specialized groups like my bipolar one, I've learned that folks with the same diagnoses can relate to each other in a way that no others can. Alicia Bagnano of Bully lives with bipolar disorder, and it was so rewarding to talk to her about it, since I share that diagnosis. Bully formed in Nashville in 2013 and was originally a solo project. Alicia has since added other members. Bully's third album, Sugar Egg, like her previous two albums, deals with her mental health struggles. Like many of my guests on Scream Therapy, She pours everything into her music, and uses it as a form of therapy. As a person living with bipolar, I'm always trying to make sure it doesn't define me. The truth is, for people like Alicia and me, bipolar can overwhelm us during depressive and manic episodes. The trick is to be aware of the symptoms, and take measures to mitigate them. Alicia knows what bipolar and mental illness look like, and in her music, she doesn't shy away from how it affects her. Bully's music is going to help a lot of people looking for answers.
1: My name is Alicia Bagnano. I have a band called Bully, and I am here to talk about music and bipolar type 2 disorder.
0: How did your diagnosis come about?
1: Basically, I was kind of at the point where it started to become debilitating for my work life and just to get through the day. I was familiar with depression and anxiety, I've struggled with that for as long as I can remember. But I kind of started to be in a place where I just felt like I had no idea whether or not I was in a rational state. And a lot of my confidence plummeted because of that. And I found myself looking to other people to kind of see how they're reacting because I just had no idea which headspace I was going to be in. And then a big thing for me was my paranoia was skyrocketed. Like I started to think that people I loved or worked with would have ulterior motives when really they just wanted what's best for me. I was finding it really hard to do any sort of social media, which is like a big part of being in a band full time. It's one of the worst requirements of it. And I was. Paranoid about taking certain shows because I had it in my head that I was going to get booed off stage, which has never happened, and it just all kind of plummeted at the same time. Where I was like, okay, I need to like go in and get help, and I saw a therapist, which wasn't my first time, but and worked with her for a while, and I like, got my diagnosis, and I've been with working with her since then, mainly like the paranoia and ulterior motives because now that I know I'm like aware of the cycles and stuff and I still don't know when I'm fluctuating in and out of them which is really frustrating because I've spent so much time like learning warning signs but when you have no idea it just feels like very unfamiliar with myself I couldn't trust myself or I just I didn't know what was reality and what my head was exaggerating. so Yeah.
0: I know what you're saying for sure, and I can relate to that. I've had similar experiences with bipolar myself, Mm -hmm. but for someone who doesn't understand it, uh, because it is a very misunderstood mental health condition, it's hard to explain the paranoia, the anxiety, all those things wrapped up in it.
1: I would say it's pretty lonely (laughs) because talking to you, I think you're the first person that I've been able to talk to that also struggles with bipolar disorder out of the 30 interviews I've done so far about it and the hardest thing is really trying to vocalize the feelings that you have going on inside of you because it just feels isolating knowing even if you do that it's not really fully making sense to the person you're talking to and I think a lot of that those times it makes you just keep it in and not want to discuss it because you're like what's the point you know yeah yeah it's frustrating and isolating but once you can kind of understand what's going on or at least get proper medication for it that's a positive thing I guess I'm trying to not be so down about it but yeah it's really frustrating frustrating it's like the word that comes to mind just because you do all this work in trying to figure out and You can look back and you're like, oh, why didn't I see that? How could I not see that I was kind of slipping into like a different mental state? And then still to this day, don't see it until I'm like a few days in. And it's that's what's really frustrating to me. I don't know if you have this, but this is something that I was having really bad before I got on medication. I still have it, but like not to the degree that I did. Extreme irritability. Like a few days or a week, and touring with that was such a nightmare. And it would remember just waking up and being like, I I just need to vacuum out the car. I need to vacuum out the car. Like we can't leave until I vacuum out the car. And I would like get up early and go take the van and just go do it. And just manically trying to like get control over something. And I just remember a tour manager being like, why are you doing this? Like, you don't have to do this. And at the time, it's really frustrating because I'm like, I'm not hurting anybody. And this is making me feel a lot better. But I specifically remember one day calling my therapist, we were at soundcheck, and I just felt like my insides were just burning. Like I couldn't, explain what was going on. It was all I wanted to do was just be really reckless because I felt so out of touch. Just thinking about it, I can like feel it in my chest. But like that extreme irritability and like sense of burning you get inside of you is super weird to deal with while you're on the road and everything is already somewhat out of your control and like inconsistent.
0: I run support groups for bipolar folks. And one of the ladies that's in the group was talking about how, in regards to the irritability, when she walks through Costco and she's feeling in that bipolar mood or or mood episode, that she just wants to punch people in the face, you know, just walking through. And it's unreasonable in some ways, but I think for folks that have bipolar, it makes sense at the time.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah.
0: You talked about your moods and escalating, going down. One of the things that I've found is that if I'm super depressed, eating an orange and i'll be like this orange is disgusting it's gross and then next week when i'm feeling more on the manic side the orange is just so amazing and it's the best thing ever and you know what i mean exactly the same orange
1: yeah i mean like my sense of euphoria is frustrating because when i'm like up when i'm being manic to anybody else it looks like i'm just so happy and so social and like so put together everything feels so good I'll post away on social media to my manager because it's always this push and pull like whatever you guys want I'll rearrange my house I'll move this desk or I'll just sit outside and I'll just be thinking like this is as good as it gets I just feel so good it took me like a year and a half to like find the right cocktail of medications but I was a really bad sleeping habits like was on Ambien for I don't know years and I was up at like three in the morning over the Thanksgiving holiday and I was like sending all these emails to the people I was playing with and my manager just two long page emails. You're so amazing and you make me feel so good and like you really help my sense of self-worth and like all this stuff and all the responses were like I hope you're doing well. But the next day I remember walking around and I was smoking a cigarette and I just remember thinking I was like maybe it's my time to go because I've feel so happy. If this is as good as it gets, maybe I should just end it because I just feel like it's my moment. Now looking back, holy shit, it feels that good. And it sucks because it's the best that I feel. And it's not really, I don't know if it's me or not, but I'm inclined to say it's the best that I feel, but it's not really me. It's not my level state.
0: Well, I hate to normalize what you just said, but I have done a lot of readings around suicidal ideation with bipolar folks, and it seems like suicidal ideation comes when the depression is really, really bad, Mm -hmm. Um, but the actual suicide attempts or completions happen when you're manic, because, of course, when you're manic, you've got all this boundless energy, and you can do all these things, and not to be dark, but if you want to jump off a bridge, that's when you're going to do it, when you've got all this euphoria and stuff, right? So it's kind of scary that way, because... I think a lot of folks think that bipolar is someone that gets really depressed, but then gets really happy. And in fact, in my mind, both ends of the bipolar are both scary in different ways.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it's very scary feeling that sense of euphoria because to me too, I think it's the most irrational that I get. Like it's the biggest blindfold. Well, I don't know, I guess. The depression is like low, it gets pretty bad. But it's definitely the biggest cloth over my eyes. Anything's possible. Even when I'm in a really low state, everything is incredibly heavy. But I'm still aware of what's going on, where I feel like when I'm kind of manic, I'm just, I'm not fully there.
0: Just you saying that, it kind of makes me think of driving a car. When you're driving super slow, you're still kind of being dangerous in some sense because you're driving so slow and you're just kind of moseying along but when you're driving super fast that's when it gets even more dangerous in the sense that then you're kind of out of control right so you mentioned before about going to seek help around what you thought could be something other than just depression and anxiety I think you said you're escalating and and getting really worried about yourself can you tell me what that looked like to the point where you had to go and get help
1: there was a number of different things that were kind of going on. One of them was, I was, I don't even know what drove this, but like, just remember, I I was paranoid all the time for no reason. I don't have anything that I'm trying to hide. And I remember being up to like five in the morning, deleting five years of bullies, social media on every Facebook, Twitter, deleted everything from Instagram. That was a pretty big (laughs) one. Uh, Just out of pure paranoia for nothing. It took hours. My dedication to it was pretty impressive. And I remember I got a call from my manager the other day and he was just, I just want to know, like, did you do that yourself by hand every single post? And I was like, yes, I did. But really it was just, Kind of around like when losing was about to come out or before that. But I also remember like walking into TJ Maxx and feeling like this overwhelming sense of dread because I had done something for Levi's and I was supposed to post about it, which should be like easily a thing to do. Like I'm trying to pay off my fucking student loans. Why am I so ashamed of doing something for someone who's trying to like Help me be able to play music for a living, and I just remember like texting the manager and talking to him, being like, "If we sell X amount of records, can I delete the Facebook? I just don't feel like I can do this like i don't I can't post this. I feel sick to my stomach, blah 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 the sheer it so much of it was like highlighted with show offers and social media for me, and then there was also times when We were kind of going through drummers, and I had in my mind there was someone who was definitely a better fit in a lot of different ways, logistically, too, and like where they lived and stuff, too. And I had asked the people I was playing with what they thought, and I had in my mind that, like, I just remember I was just started crying and was like, You just. Don't want me to have another female in the band, and everyone's you're gonna gang up on me, and you guys just want to like gang up on me and do this. And there was a lot of things like that where it was just places where I would just be like spending days obsessing over these things that are so just like sure, do it, who cares? Oh, this is the right call, go with it. But it was just every little thing was such a chore, and seeing my reaction. When other people are just totally stable at that point and I would be plotting and like crying, kind of freaking out was definitely a little bit of a magnifying glass over my eye because it was just like, oh, this is something is there is a gap here and something is not. There was also just random events, even like socially. It's like I would be like out to eat or like go visit someone. I would just leave and go in the parking lot and just like start crying. Cause I just felt like this sounds so sounds dumb. I sound like a big cry baby. I'm not a cry baby, but I think it's like, I just remember like having those feelings where I was like, I don't know what is going on in my body. And that's all I could do. And it was like, would abruptly have to like leave a situation to go. Cause just like, I couldn't be around anybody. I just like, couldn't be in the real world. It was like, I felt so disconnected. It was stuff like that. My, flying like I remember I was on a plane and I was I thought I was losing it was like the carpet was moving it just was like everything was heightened I don't yeah it was all those things (laughs) together but that was when I was like okay this is more than just anxiety or or depression but there's a feeling in my body that I'm very unfamiliar with kind of all came to like a head where I was like this isn't okay
0: when you were diagnosed looking back on your life did you see things that pointed to bipolar
1: oh god yeah it was a relief to hear because things started kind of making sense a little bit everything like i can still put my finger on like circ- like situations that happened like i can with like that thanksgiving situation three years ago like i can look at that now and realize what was going on at the time I have no idea. But yeah, things started to make a lot more sense. And I started to understand the cycles a little bit more and to try and be more aware of them and figure out, you know, like I said before, it's so frustrating because I don't exactly know when I'm in them or when I'm out of them. But sometimes I will be able to know, like if I'm very, very irritable, It might take a day or two for me to realize that's why. But the time I really don't know is when I'm in like that manic euphoria. That's when I don't know until it's over because then usually it plummets. And I'm like, how did I not see this coming?
0: The higher you go, the lower you get, right?
1: Yeah. 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 It was scary to hear, but almost like a relief because I was like, okay, this is not 100% me. Part of this is just something that's going on in my brain and I can start a process of treatment to help manage it a little bit better. So it was cool to have that understanding.
0: What other things are you doing to manage your moods?
1: A lot. Exercise is really big for me. I like very much have to exercise. And... I there's this place called Wild Heart Meditation. They have Dharma Talks, which now they've been on Zoom. Um, but those have helped me a lot. And I can just listen to the podcast. Those are like very, have helped me a lot. They used to have a recovery group that I attended when I was quitting drinking. But exercise, meditation, not drinking. I stopped drinking. And that was ginormous. It was like a huge... Black hole taken out. You know what I'm saying? Like it didn't solve everything, but a huge portion of feelings that didn't need to be there, it just threw them away. So that's been really, really big for me.
0: I think there's a self medication aspect to folks with mental illness. For me, before my diagnosis, it was a huge social media addiction, full on addiction. Previously, drinking when I was younger, but just trying to almost stave off this illness that's trying to tell you that there's something going on more than just, oh, you're an alcoholic or you like to be on your social media all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it just also, it just triggers that whatever you're leaning into to try and bring you some sort of sense of relief is usually just going to like make it worse. What do you do to help? I want to go to your support group.
0: (laughs) You should. It's only been two years I'm the kind of person that really likes to get it done and figure it out, which in some ways to my detriment, but I've been really, really anxious about figuring this out and getting better. And of course that can play into the moods as well. You know, like you said, the higher you get, the quicker you fall sort of thing. Yeah. Medication, getting the right combination of meds, doing all the things you talked about eating and exercising. The sleeping I find is huge. When I'm getting manic and I don't sleep, it just makes it so much, it escalates it so much higher and then makes me crash so much lower. Yeah. Um, And then therapy, talk therapy, of course. I do behavioral therapy courses. The support groups are great, just like we're doing now. You get to talk to other folks who understand. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Definitely want to do that. Yeah, the sleep thing is huge. I, for the past two months, have been sleeping the best that I have and like, five years and I think about it a lot because it's just it like affects your life in such a big way when you never know if you're going to be up for like if you're going to get three hours of sleep a night for a week and then that whole Ambien I don't know if you are like prescribed stuff to help you sleep but I've taken like everything in the books and Ambien was just you know Ambien (laughs) it's not (laughs) the best thing
0: well, I think with the sleeping pills, mine's an antipsychotic as well, which I think Ambien might be as well. But for me, the key is when I'm feeling really on the manic side and know I'm not going to sleep that night, those are the nights that I take it. And I try to just stick with those nights and figure that on the rest of the nights, my body can regulate and, and sleep. But yeah. there's some nights where I know it's just not going to happen. You yeah. know, like I woke up at 2 in the morning the other night and it's like, what am I doing? I wake at 2 in the morning. What now? You know <laughs>
1: Or like you're laying in bed and you feel like you won't sleep and the next thing you know you're not sleeping because you're so worried about falling asleep and you're like counting the hours that you have until you have to wake up and just getting even more anxious about it.
0: Yeah. You know what they say you should do in regards to that? I don't know who they is, but I've read that uh, (laughs) when you're laying there in bed and you can't sleep and you know you're not going to sleep, you just get up and go somewhere else and you read a book until you start to feel sleepy and then you Mm -hmm. go back to bed. And then if you still can't sleep, you get up and do it all over again. And they say they say eventually your system regulates and you'll be able to fall asleep, but they're not talking about folks with mania either, right? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one thing I didn't mention about therapy for me has been music. I've been into it since I was really, really young. It's definitely changed my life. A lot of folks I talk to on the podcast say it saved their life, which it has for me as well. How are your thoughts on that?
1: A hundred percent. I don't even think to say it as something I'm doing to manage it because it's just my whole life just being able to play live and being able to write for a living is such a dream to me and it's just it feels like it's all that I can do when I feel like that like it's the only thing I can do and it still makes me feel better and I always do this thing which is so dramatic. If I feel like I'm kind of burning inside or something, I turn my amp up and I plug in my PA and get my pedals going and just play like as loud as I do when I'm playing live, but in my house. <laughs> nice. and that's how I like to write. And yeah, it's like the only way that I've had to truly work through things. And also one of the best mirrors that I've had as well, because I think... When I write stuff down that I'm feeling at the time and figure out a way to work through a song, I can look back at it and things make a lot more sense. And writing music and playing live are like their own separate kinds of the best things in the world. Yeah, music and my dog definitely have saved me.
0: (laughs) Is music an escape for you or a grounding or both?
1: It's an escape. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes me to a better place. And when I'm playing live, it's no matter what happened that day for 45 minutes, I can just either put everything into it, like put all those feelings into it, or I can just forget about them completely. And yeah, it's the best thing in the world. I think too, like particularly has to do with playing rock music because it's loud and it's noisy and you're like. You know, you're not, like, going off of any sort of script or anything. I, I can't imagine, like, feeling rage and then having to sit down and, like, play a soft acoustic set. <laughs> I don't know what it would be like then, but for a stop that I play with bully, it's definitely an escape.
0: What was the one moment that you realized that you were dealing with something more and that you had to go and seek help?
1: I wasn't hospitalized or anything. mm I don't remember the exact moment. I just remember that whole kind of whirlwind. For some reason, specifically, remember being in my garage and making this sign. We were going to announce that we were signed to Sub Pop, and I just remember feeling a very particular type of way. And that, for some reason, always stands out to me. And then there was another time when I was driving to Chicago with the person I was dating at that time and just had a complete meltdown. I think maybe after that I went in, but yeah, those two times stand out for me, but it's hard to like put my finger on exactly when, because the process of having to like go through my insurance and then find who would accept it and then get matched with the therapist. And then I had to like go, to find somebody to match me with a the therapist and then have them work with a psychiatrist. It just felt like it was not something where I was, okay, can I talk to somebody? And it's, uh wait, no, you have to do all these things first. And also our healthcare system is so fucked, so you have to be a millionaire.
0: <laughs> the big question for a lot of folks that are living with bipolar is, is it a blessing or a curse? I've heard a lot of folks talk about that. How do you feel about it? I don't know if I have an answer for myself yet. First. But- cursed yeah
1: Yeah, I don't know why I would be a blessing yeah I guess
0: the rationale there is that it makes us more interesting or more artistic or more wild to be around which in some ways is (laughs) still a curse
1: I feel like being overly sensitive can be a blessing and a curse but mental health stuff I don't really wish on anybody and I'm Try to be like hypersensitive of it because in the music world and particularly in the rock world, sometimes it can be like romanticized. So anything to avoid that, I'm going to do because that's just treading dangerous water. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, for sure. I read a couple of articles about you in some big newspaper somewhere that I didn't care to remember the names of. <laughs> but there is an implication that you sort of had a handle on things and that things were getting better and that you'd realized that you had bipolar and now everything's kind of rosy. I'm just obviously getting my own interpretation of it. But I just got really mad. I was like, well, how do they know what's going on in someone's head or someone's life? And just because they're diagnosed doesn't mean they have a handle on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because you never... Well, maybe somebody does somewhere. I don't know. I, I don't have a handle on. That's actually something I talk with my manager and the woman that I work with day to day is because sometimes it's like, I don't want to fucking talk about that. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you're in the middle of it and you don't feel good. It's, I think when you're out of it for a little bit, it's easier to talk about, but it's heavy to think about. And it's not something you want to constantly revisit. It can be I know for me right now have a schedule on social media. It's like it's oftentimes a lot easier for me to just be goofy and not take myself seriously when I'm doing that, when I don't feel if I don't feel really, really well, I just can't do it at all. Even if I feel like I know that I'm not in the best mental state, that's the easiest way for me to cover it up. So I think that sometimes it looks like something it's not. And I also think if you're somebody who experiences a lot of highs and lows, I don't ever want to perpetuate it or I'm just hyper aware of what I put out. Sometimes I think about what I would want to see if I'm like going through someone's whatever social media page. As someone who doesn't feel well, sometimes I don't want to like constantly be seeing about it, you know, oftentimes I'm just searching for lightheartedness.
0: How's playing music and performing helped with your mood swings?
1: It's really just being on tour, like playing live. It's just the endorphins that it releases feels so good. It's like the best outlet for any sort of negative energy for me. And it's just a release, a huge release. And yeah, I think that's the best part about it. Is it just having those forty five minutes to scream and like pound into my guitar and just kind of like let it all out is the best relief that I could have.
0: How much of your struggles go into the songs? Is it hard to manage that part of it, putting not enough or too much?
1: Oh, it's just like, I'm just like putting it all in there for sure. Cause it's the only place I have to put it, you know? Yeah. I just shamelessly put it all in there.
0: On the latest album, you do a lot of screaming. You've always done a lot of screaming, but it seems like for myself, screaming is all about purging and getting that energy out. And it's not always negative. In fact, oftentimes it's very positive. Hmm. Yeah,
1: it's the best feeling. It feels so good. Some things just need to be screamed too, like certain lyrics you write and you're like, there's just no other way for me to say this.
0: Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Screen Therapy. You can connect with me at soundcloud.com slash screen therapy. And until next time, take care and be well.